Dasani revoked their corporate sponsorship? What is this? <laughs> you will not display our logo. Does that keep it colder? Stop it from sweating? What, what's, what's going on? Stop some sweating? Can you wrap me in a paper towel too? <laughs> I know you can. Brother David, you can do anything. Man. Brother David and Superman got in a fight and a loser had to wear an underwear on the outside of his pants. That one got there by slow freight. I just, just, if you hadn't got it by now, just wait till I tell the next joke and laugh then. Uh, it's a blessing to be here at Camp Calvary. What a great crowd and uh, what a great spirit. It is. Uh, camp meetings are, in many cases, things of the past, but we could use a little more of the past in the present. These connections to better days are things to be treasured. And I'm so very glad to be here. I feel a little bit uh, out of my depth, but I have spent most of my adult life like that. So I've grown used to it. Um, but the Lord uses us at His pleasure. And if you don't think God has a sense of humor, just look around. Isaiah 7 is where we'll be. Thank you, Pastor Lovins, for the invitation to come. Um, I always enjoyed Brother Lovins in college. I had a great singing voice. I love quartet music. And uh, he's, got, he's got a great voice, can go up and get those notes. Uh, but he pays for it. I always think he's going to have an aneurysm when he's going to sing. The red hair and then the red face to go with the red. Where are you at, Brother John? There you are. And, uh, but man, could get those notes. He sang in a group called Blood Bought and Free. Um, but it was funny, just as it would happen on the CD that, that they had, it said Blood Bought and Free, and then they put the price next to it, 12 bucks. <laughs> and I always looked at it and I'm like, which is it? Is it Blood Bought and Free? Or, so I started calling it Blood Bought and 12 bucks. <laughs> it wasn't free. Um, thank you, Pastor Lovins. I'm so excited that he's here. Uh, a transition in the life of any church is a time when the devil can get in, and he does so very often. But Calvary, um, y'all got one of the good ones. And uh, it's, a, it's a man that believes what he believes deeply. And uh, not a... Not a product of the winds blowing this way or that. He knows what he believes. He comes from good stock. His preacher daddy's been at it longer than he cares to remember. And uh, this family's a good family, and y'all got a good preacher here, and I'm so happy for that. Tony's my friend. Um, I guess I should call you Missionary Wood. My wife says I get overly familiar sometimes. Um, but she's not here, so Tony's my friend. <laughs> and... Uh, when it was an unusual thing the Lord did in calling Brother Tony. I will tell you this, all of the pastors in our little group were like, Lord, you got Tony, that's enough, right? Because <laughs> pastor in, in 2022 is not the easiest thing in the world, but going to be a missionary in the Middle East, you're kind of like, okay, Lord, I can deal with pastoring. That's, that's fine, I can handle it. But I knew... One of the burdens on uh, Tony and Trisha's heart was what's going to happen to the ministry here. They were going to follow God. Calvary, you knew that your pastor was going to follow God. He always had. We don't always understand the Lord's leading, nor do we understand his timing. Some things make sense later on. Some things never make sense. But the reason that you followed Brother Wood is because he followed God. One of the hard things for Tony and Trish was what's going to happen to this place we've invested 17 years of our life? What's going to happen there? And uh, Brother Lovins, when you came, it was such a relief and a joy to them. It's a relief and a, or it's a blessing and a joy to know Brother Tony, and he's been my friend longer than either one of us care to remember. Um, we both went through a molt about the same time in our teenage years. 
and God had mercy on us. Any, anybody that God lets get through their teenage years a trophy of the mercy of God. I'm just glad. Today, everything teenagers do is recorded. Their, their videos and cameras, they are recording nonstop. I am never so glad. We didn't post nothing. There's no proof at all. One of the, the, the hard things to figure out as you get a little older, I'll turn 50 next time the calendar rolls around. I've been around almost as long as this meeting, but not quite. Um, but one of the things is trying to figure out, are your parents ready to hear about this yet? Now, tell you, young people, one of the best ways to share this information with your parents that you haven't is as they get older, act like you already told them. <laughs> like, Mom and Dad, you remember when I told you about that time I climbed up the, the 500-foot tower? Remember, remember that time? No, you didn't. Oh, yeah, I told you about that. You were shocked then, but you're fine now. There are still some stories we haven't shared just yet, but uh, the Lord put us together and, um, as teenagers, and then we sang all over the place. Uh, we sang one time, and depending on who was doing the count, it was either five or 7,000 people, we sang in a group with pieces of Lester Roloff's plane behind us. Brother Hiles got this idea that he would pay tribute to Lester Roloff's plane. The FAA has to hold planes that had been in a crash for a certain amount of time. And evidently they turned it loose and Brother Howells found it. And so literally he and I and a, and a couple of other guys are going to sing on, at pastor school at First Baptist of Hammond. And they've got pieces of that. We're, we're up there getting ready to speak. And here come these guys walking in. And this guy's got a wing and this guy's got a vertical stabilizer and this guy's got... It was, it, it was kind of moving and kind of creepy at the same time. So there was a fellow named Jack Patterson, and he's just a mountain of a man. And he was going to sing lead on Living by Faith. Tony was going to sing the bass. I was going to sing first tenor, but it was low, and I could handle it. And he was going to sing a cappella. And so the musician hit the key on the piano. And said, I care not today what tomorrow may bring. You know, singing like Brother Roloff would have sung it, or, or, or would have sung it, did sing it, sang, sang it. Just a singing. Would have sang it all those years ago. But I don't know if he like tightened up being on the stage in front of all those people. So instead of starting, I care not today, he started, I care not, up somewhere like Mickey Mouse range. And now we're in front of five or 7,000 people, depending on who was there. They said 7,000 people, but I was counting one night and I only got to five. <laughs> the message was awesome, really. <laughs> so. Now we're on the stage in front of all these people and I have to sing falsetta. And I don't sing falsetta. I never joined the Vienna Boys Choir. I'm not going to do that. And I'm pulling hair on my arm trying to hit these notes. And Tony's over there laughing because now the bass is a cakewalk, right? Because the song's way up here and he's just like, too bad for you, sucker. But we go way, way back, he and I. And uh, I'm excited to see how the Lord is using them. I'm, I'm excited to see the willingness and the yielded spirit of the Wood family. Uh, I do try to introduce humor. That seems to be my lot in life. And my daughter, my oldest daughter, Taylor, I have many daughters, but my oldest daughter, Taylor, is going to be marrying Brother Tony and Miss Trisha's son, Anthony. And that's coming up on July the 8th. That's one of the reasons I am here and then back, because my wife has become the wedding planner, and I have become the lackey. I thought I would just fund it and be done. I'm not done, but I did want to be here. And, uh, but I, I thought about marriage, and I found a list of, of truths about marriage, and I, maybe you'll want to write some of these down. I think maybe they'll help you or not. Well, let me just give you a couple examples. Maybe, maybe you'll feel like this really speaks to your heart. Marriage is when a man and a woman become as one. The trouble starts when they try to decide which one. My wife has given birth four times. My wife has given birth six times and still fits in her prom dress. She didn't go to prom, but this is somebody else saying this. I gave birth zero times, and I haven't fit in my pants since March. This is a good one. This one speaks to my heart. Marriage is like going to a restaurant. You order what you want, and then you see what the other person has, and you wish you'd order that. 
See, that's terrible. Just write these down. These will be a blessing to you. What is the penalty for bigamy? Two mothers-in-law. Amen. <laughs> One fellow said, I just asked my wife what she's burning up for dinner, and it turns out to be all my personal belongings. One fellow said, our, or, or one fellow's wife said, our neighbor, our new neighbor, always kisses his wife when he leaves for work. Why don't you do that? The husband replied, how can I? I don't even know her. <laughs> I thought this the other day. I need to start paying closer attention to stuff. I found out today my wife and I have separate names for the dog. <laughs> Ladies, you might want to write this one down. The only one of your children who does not grow up and move away is your husband. Men, you might want to write this one down. A little boy asked his dad, Daddy, how much does it cost to get married? The father replied, I don't know. I'm still paying for it. <laughs> Top three situations that require witnesses. Number one, crimes. Number two, accidents. Number three, marriages. Do I need to say any more? After a quarrel, a wife said to her husband, you know, I was a fool when I married you. And the husband replied, yes, dear, but I was in love and I didn't notice. <laughs> Anthony, you need to write this one down. Man is incomplete until he's married, then he's really finished. <laughs> Why did the Mormon cross the road to get to the other bride? That's enough, that's enough. I got a whole list of them. If you see me after the service, you give me a quarter, I'll tell you another one. I got lots of them. Oh, hallelujah. Well, the message tonight is not the one I wanted to preach. But it's the one I need to preach, and so we'll look at it. I, I know already what Pastor Wood is going to, Missionary Wood is going to preach. I gave you a Bible and put missionary wood on it just to remind you every once in a while that you're a missionary now. And I'm excited about that. So let, let me just say what I need to say and get down and, and we'll hear from this good man of God. But here's the, the title of tonight's message. Signs that you are wearying God. Signs that you are wearying God. Look at Isaiah chapter 7. If you found your place, let's stand. If I was in a missionary and evangelist, I would say stand and stretch your legs, but I'm neither of those things, so stand because we're Baptist and we just do it. Isaiah 7, look at verse 10. Moreover, the Lord spake again unto Ahaz, saying, Ask thee a sign of the Lord thy God. Ask it either in the depth or in the height above. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, neither will I tempt the Lord. And he said, Hear ye now, O house of David, it's a small thing for you to weary men, but will you weary my God also? It's a possibility. We can wear God out. It's not some place any of us would want to go, but let me give you some signs you're wearying God. Father in heaven, I pray that you would work in the service tonight. I thank you for this book. Brother Wood just sang about my Bible and I, and oh, the journey we take with this book. I'm looking at men of God all over this room. Many more years in this than I can imagine. But one thing's true of all of us. We take this journey with the Word of God, or we've got no business taking it. We don't preach philosophy. We don't preach the wisdom of men. We preach the word of God. It is our message. I'm thankful that it's inexhaustible. And I'm thankful that it's powerful. Lord, I pray that the word of God would have free course in the service tonight. Spirit of God, I pray that you would empower me and let me be a blessing to your people assembled here. There'll never be another time like this one. Never another service exactly like this. Please do the work that I cannot. I'm 
confessing my weakness before you. I need you. Spirit of God, work through me. Speak through me. And may we all hear with open hearts and ready minds. We pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Please be seated if you would. Wearying God. Signs that you are wearying God. I was going to start off by saying it's not a good plan. We are human and as such we are going to get on each other's nerves. I heard a story one time. Um, uh, a man had been in a service with Dr. Jim Vineyard. Dr. Jim Vineyard built one of the, the great churches in the United States, and it was a mission church. I mean, it was, there, there was a great work there in, in Oklahoma, but it, it was a great mission-minded church. And he was preaching one time, or he had a conference going one time, and a fellow got up in the conference and made this statement. My wife and I have been married for 50 years. We have not had one argument in 50 years. And all the air just left the room. When the message was over, the man prayed and sat down. People were waiting for the moderator, Pastor Vineyard, to come up and say something. He was nowhere to be found. Then he poked his head up behind the modesty rail on the choir up there, poked his head up and said, 50 years. Then he put his head down and crawled a little more over to the other side, poked his head up again and said, 50 years. He crawled around to the piano bench and poked his head out from behind the piano and said, the man said 50 years. And then he crawled. He just had to know vineyard. He was just, he was cut from a different cloth. And he crawled from the piano all the way to the pulpit and poked his head over the pulpit like this and said, the man said he hasn't argued with his wife in 50 years. He said, me and Mrs. Vineyard had a knockdown, drag out fight on the way to the service tonight. Getting on each other's nerves is just part of the human condition. But if you do it often enough, people can grow weary of us. They will flinch when they see us coming. They will groan when they see us coming. They will run when they see us coming. I, I got to tell you, I realize, you know, we're not slaves to the crowd and all that. But if everybody thinks you're a problem, you probably are. There is some wisdom in the crowd somewhere, right? You're, you're not right and everybody else is wrong, but that's another message. That's free stuff. I do this at my church. There are certain people, when I see them coming down the aisle, I act like i got to do something over here. And I'll walk over here. Listen, usually, you know, what is it, the shortest distance between two points is a straight line? Sometimes I don't walk a straight line. If you ever notice your pastor will never walk right at you, but he walks around you a lot, I hope I didn't give anything away. <laughs> Brother Anthony's here. He's at our church, and he knows the ones I walk around. I'll see him smiling sometimes. I actually have people in my church who are tasked with bailing visitors out of conversations because I, I got some of the biggest nerds in the world want to go straddle every visitor that runs through the door. Hey, how you doing? Let me ask you an embarrassing question or six. I'm like, who made you the spokesman? But we're independent Baptists, so we're trying to keep people in the church. <laughs> people get tired of us, or as the Bible would put it, they are wearied by our presence. That sentiment, being weary, is part of the human experience. Sisters get wearied with brothers, say amen. Man, you sisters really love your brothers. Fathers get wearied with sons. Wives get wearied with husbands. Employers get wearied with employees. Patients get wearied with doctors. The list of possible wearying situations is endless. As I said, it happens with people. We all have an itch we cannot scratch, and we have all been the itch that someone else wished that they could reach. But what if we made God weary? What if instead of joy in our presence, he felt grief and agitation? What if he groaned at our appearance? Now, popular, popular thinking is this. God loves everybody all the time, especially those that come to worship. Turn to Isaiah 1. Isaiah 1. Verse 
Isaiah 1. These are people coming to worship. Look at verse 11. To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifice unto me, saith the Lord? I am full of the burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed beasts, and I delight not in the blood of bullocks or of lambs or of he goats. Now these are all sacrifices that God himself commanded, but he's not happy. When you come to appear before me, who hath required this at your hand to tread my courts? Bring no more vain oblations. Incense is an abomination unto me. The new moons and Sabbath, the calling of assemblies, I cannot away with it. It is iniquity, even the solemn meeting. Your new moons and your appointed feast, my soul hateth. Now what has happened? Why does God feel this way about people that are coming to worship? Listen, there's a lot that goes on in the name of worship God doesn't care a thing about. We're just coming to worship the Lord. That's how you see it, but that's not how God sees it. What is the problem? What has happened to God to create this animosity for people who are trying, at least on paper, to seek Him? Look at the last line. They are a trouble to me, unto me. I am weary to bear them. Tired of it. Point of fact, there are many times when God is manifesting growing resentment. People are wearying Him and wearing Him out. Genesis 6 and verse 3, And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man. God has limits. What a beautiful scripture in Isaiah. Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return unto the Lord. For he have mercy unto him and our God for he will abundantly pardon. You're like, yes, that's a beautiful verse. But listen, those words... While he may be found, call ye upon him while he is near. You know what that means? There's a time when he won't be near. Man, you read Proverbs chapter 1. Then will they call, I will not answer. They will seek me early. They shall not find me. You know why? It's weary. Listen, you make your wife weary, you can patch stuff up. You make your parents weary, maybe you can patch that up. You make God weary, you've got a problem. I think one of the things we've lost more in this generation, above all others, is the fear of God. It's been replaced by the fear of man, but the fear of man bringeth a snare. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of God. Listen, the whole duty of man, fear God and keep His commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. We've gotten away from the fear of the Lord. Side note, parents, that starts with you. You know where I learned fear of God from? Fear of my father. Fear of dad taught me fear of God. There were times I thought that man would kill me and go to jail just to prove a point. Listen, I'm not preaching. I'm telling you the truth. Some of you will get that by real slow freight. Y'all loosen up. It's not getting any better. Word of advice. Life hack. Don't worry, God. Don't get to the point where you're trying to connect and he is not interested. Jacob, have I loved Esau? Well, God doesn't hate anybody. Well, Jacob, have I loved Esau? Have I hated? Do you know that Esau repented with tears, but he never found his way back to God? You know why? God was done. We live such a cavalier Christianity anymore. We just believe that God's going to be there when we're ready. You know, Abraham was a good man, wasn't he? When he sinned with Hagar, God didn't talk to him for 13 years. Your mother ever say something like this? You are on my last nerve! Pardon me, did your wife ever say anything like this? You are... Man, the things that our wives can say to us that we cannot say back. Uh, you're putting on weight. My wife says that to me sometimes. Number one, my wife's not putting on weight. But number two, if I ever said that, heaven help us. 
Has anybody ever said that and it worked out? Can I have a show of hands? Just making sure it wasn't going to fall off. Hang on, let me hit the magic button here. Hello, hello, hello. Tech one, two. Check one, two. I know what it is. I knew it. Just messing. Because I know what the points are to this message. i got to preach them at some point. Here we go. How do you know you're weary in God? Number one, you've already wearied someone else. You've already wearied someone else. If you look at the, the passage that we read there in our text, it's a small thing for you to weary men. Will you weary God also? There's the word also. Listen, long before you weary God, who's long-suffering. And that, that says in 2 Peter, Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any, perish, any should perish, but all should come to repentance. God is long-suffering. He's patient. God is love. A long time before you burn through his patience, you'll burn through somebody else's. You know, some of you young people need to pay attention to the fact you're wearying your parents. Because that's a real indicator you're wearying God. When you're wearying the people who have your best interests at heart that love you, I know, I know, you can find a group out there that will rubber stamp anything you want. That's the curse of social media. You can always find a group that will give you the big thumbs up. You can be the biggest reprobate in town and get 20 likes for something stupid that comes out of your mouth or your keyboard. A little sybilis we form out there. Well, we're just a recovering fundamental Baptist. Oh, God help you. You didn't get to go to movies. Let me ask you something. Are you so frail in psyche that you were scarred by the fact that you had to dress appropriately? Oh, your parents were terrible. They didn't let you listen to music about booze, sex, drugs, and rebellion. I didn't get to listen to, to music about, about pimps slapping cops. I feel so mistreated. Some of you are pushing away the people that love you more than life and embracing people that are just using you for the ride. Hey, husband that's slipping around and getting backslidden, your wife's not your enemy because she's trying to pull you in a good direction. You're on your way to wearying God. Your preacher's not the enemy because he gets up and preaches it straight. Well, I just wish we had a preacher like the one over here. I, I remember Brother Gomez said this years ago. He said, you can tell a man of God not by what he's for. He said, everybody's for everything. You can tell a real man of God by what he's against. That crowd out there is for everything. They're not against anything. Because if you stood up and started preaching on drinking at their church, you'd split it like a ripe melon. Your preacher's not the enemy because he preaches it straight. And some of you are wearing your man of God and you're all on your way to wearing the God of that man. A long time, listen, the canary in the mine is before you weary God, you've wrung out a lot of good people in your life already. They're not all wrong. You know, it's, what kind of hubris is it that you think you're right and everybody else is wrong? What kind of hubris does it take to look at your preacher that prays for you and your family and think, well, he's out to get us. Let me tell you who's out to get you. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, has a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour, and your preacher gets on your knees and goes to sword with that devil to try to spare you and your family, and you haven't got anything good to say about him. God help your shriveled up soul. Best friend is a mirror. You love you and nobody else. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get on the next point. Number one, you've already wearied someone else. Number two, 
you're repeatedly confessing the same sin. 1 John 1, 9 is a beautiful verse, isn't it? If I'd have wrote the Bible, I couldn't have put that in there. I couldn't have. Only God, who's long-suffering, could say if we confess our sins. Because God knew about every sin when he wrote that verse. Sometimes, Brother Wood, I've been at this a little while. I've been in ministry, well, how long have we been in this? 25-something years? Thereabouts. We were kids when we, remember how young we were? I know. That's why you hang around old people, right? <laughs> They're looking at you going, I remember when I was like that. And we're like, I'm glad I ain't like that. <laughs> it helps both of us. I've been at this a little while. You've been at this a little while. You've been at it a lot longer than that. Not a whole lot shocks you. But every once in a while, somebody will do something. You're like, what? There aren't words. Sometimes I'll look at my wife and go, what? What did I just hear? What did I just see? Is that for real? Preacher Graham, how long have you been at this? 51 years. When you started, my parents weren't even thinking about me. They are thinking, we should have another girl. My parents are the encouraging type. This was what they told me. Jay, we love you, but once we had you, we decided that was the last kid we were ever going to have. Blessings. You've been at 51 years. You've seen some stuff, haven't you? Every once in a while, though, something will still kind of go, what? In this age that we live in, what? But God knew every one of those what's when he wrote 1 John 1, 9. He said, if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all. Hey, isn't that a great verse to have in your Bible? You ever claim that one? You ever gone back to God and said, Lord, I'm here again and I'm sorry? But I wonder how sincere our confession is if we don't plan on changing the behavior. Lord, I'm here to say I'm sorry again. Don't worry, I'll be back later. That word confessed means to be of the same mind. The same mind with who? God. Well, how does God feel about your sin? He must feel different about it because he says quit and we say, I'll try. Play stupid games, win stupid prizes. Some of you are playing with sin right now. It's going to cost you. And it's going to cost you in your home and family. And listen... There's a whole lot of mercy going on in your life. You know what mercy is? God protecting you from the natural consequence of your own stupidity. Grace is unmerited favor. It's God giving you what you don't deserve. Thank God for grace. But mercy is God holding back the natural consequences of your own sin. It wouldn't take a lot for God to say, I tell you what, you want to see what happens when you do that 10 times, 20 times, 30 times, 50 times? Let me just pull that back and let you see. Thine own backsliding shall reprove thee. Well, Lord, I'm sorry again. And again, look, I understand that Paul had a sin that so easily beset him. I get that. But listen to me, folks. It's time for you to get serious about getting sin out of your life. It wearies God. Your iniquities. The Lord's hand is not short that it cannot save. His ear is not deaf that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated. Signs you're wearying God. Number one, you're wearying somebody else. Number two... You're repeatedly confessing the same sin. Number three, you're covering sin and not confessing. Proverbs 28 and 13, I'm sure everybody in this, verse, this, this building is this memorized. It's a very familiar portion of Scripture. He that covereth his sin shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth, confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. Brother Doug is... Full-time pastor, but he's a part-time cop. It's basically the same thing, just different uniforms. 
You know what being a cop is? Wanting to shoot a bunch of people. You really can't. But you think about it, it makes you feel better. You know what being a pastor is? It's the same thing. This is what the cops will tell you. Bodies never stay buried. There were people, I lived next to Lake Sidley Lanier. It's one of the biggest lakes in the southeast. It has miles and miles of shoreline. They flooded the Chattahoochee River, put a dam up on it right there at Buford, and, and flooded all those little finger uh, valleys going to the mountains, and it's just got shoreline on top. It's a beautiful lake. Love it. There was a man out there fishing with his son. They are fishing for striper. Striper have no natural predators there in Lake Lanier. And it's a good-sized fish. And, and they threw a big treble hook down there that had some meat on it, and they, they let it settle all the way down the bottom and start retrieving that. And, boy, it was heavy, but it, it wasn't like a fish that was fighting. Long story short, they reeled in a body that was wrapped in bailing wire. Now, when bodies go in the water, they swell. But this person was smart enough to know, if I wrap it up in bailing wire, it can't swell and float. So they put rocks in the bailing wire, and they wrapped it up good and tight. And it stayed down there for years until a father and son dropped a hook. Bodies don't stay buried. You can cover your sin if you want to. They won't stay buried. I just talked about abusing the idea, for abusing confession of sin. But let me take you one step further than that when you don't care enough to confess anymore. I realize there's a lot of people out there that will excuse your sin, but a lot of people aren't God. Dr. John Rice used to say this, keep short accounts with God. Listen, don't let sin stack up in your life. You sin, you stop and own it and confess it. Because if you don't, you're going to get used to it. I grew up in Cantonment, Florida. That's right outside of Pensacola. That's north, like you're going on Highway 29, north out of there, Cantonment. And, and the thing that made Cantonment, Cantonment was a paper mill. It was St. Regis, I think later became champion. In the process of making paper, there's a lot of pine forest in North Florida. They harvest that, that, those pine trees, those big, tall pine trees. Some of it goes to be lumber, but some of it goes to be pulp wood. And they take it, and they crush that wood. And then to emulsify it and make paper, they treat it with sulfur. It's that sulfur dioxide. There's some sort of chemical compound. Let me tell you this. It stinks. It stinks. And when the wind was just right at my little house in Cantonment, oh my goodness. I remember the first year we lived there, we moved in that house, we thought, this is a nice place until the north wind came. And we're like, this is... Well, I at least said a, a word. It smelled kind of like brimstone. This is terrible! It was for a while. Brother Wood, funniest thing. I invited a friend over one time. He came to my house. And he wasn't there just a minute. He goes, what is that smell? He said, who died in your yard? What is going on? And I was like, what? What are you talking about? <laughs> you remember when your sin smelled like that? It doesn't anymore, does it? just used to it. Other people are like, my goodness, what is that? And you're like, oh, that's just. I wonder how a thrice holy God feels about that. Signs you're weary in God. You've stopped confessing your sin. Hey, isn't it, isn't it great if you confess and forsake, you can have mercy, but you cover, you will not prosper. God will see to it you don't. Number four, you feel more pride and less humility. God didn't have anything good to say about pride. We're in pride month in America right now. What happened to our country? 
We have a country that's proud of sin. Weren't you shocked several years ago when President Obama chose to fly the rainbow flag in front of the White House? Weren't you shocked? It's just new levels of perversion. It was just... Have you ever noticed on the end of that they have the LGBTQ and they put a plus on the end? You know what that means? More sin's coming. We're not done. Because perversion never has a bottom. Yeah, that pride's bad. All pride's bad. What do you have God didn't give you? What do you have worthwhile? Well, I tell you what, when I stand in a pulpit, it's something else. What do you have God didn't give you? In Him we live and move and have our being. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights. Listen, everything good in my life came from God. If I can think, it's because of God. If I can preach, it's because of God. If I have a family, it's because of God. If I have any money, it's because of God. Listen, God has been good to me. My life has been a series of mistakes. My life has been a series of bad choices. But inasmuch as I got it right and knelt before him and followed his will, God bless me. And it's all about him. What do you have to be proud about? Well, look at my ministry. God blessed you with that. Can you look at Samuel? He's wrung out with Saul. He's tired of him. And this is what he said. When thou wast little in thine own eyes. Remember when you used to be humble. Remember when you needed God. Hey, you've been preaching long enough, you don't need him too much anymore. Oh, you young preachers, man, you got more outlines you can shake a stick at. Just go to the internet. So proud to think we can do the work of God in the power of the flesh. God resisteth the proud. Signs that we're weary in God. I'm almost done and you're so very happy to hear that. Number five, you have less patience for others and more indulgence for yourself. The verse is for the last one, James 4, 6, but he giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace to the humble. 1 Peter 5, 5, likewise ye younger, subject, or submit yourselves unto your elder, Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility, for God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Listen, when you're proud, the resistance in your life is not the devil, it's God. God can't bless pride, he never will. Number five, you have less patience for others and more for yourself. Luke 6, 42, either how canst thou say to thy brother, let me pull out the mote that is in thine eye, when thou beholdest not the beam that is in thine own eye. Thou hypocrite, cast out first the beam out of thine own eye, and thou shalt see. When Nathan came to David, he told him a story about a man who stole some sheep, or stole a sheep, when he had a field full of sheep of his own. And David was indignant about that. David said, that man shall surely die, and he'll pay fourfold. Be careful. Be careful. Because the same judgment that David pronounced on that fictitious man, God pronounced on him. He took one life and God took four of his sons. The son with Bathsheba died. Amnon died. Absalom died. And Adonijah died. David was so indignant about this other man and so willing to excuse his own sin. It's amazing how I can give myself a pass about what I do and be real mad at what other people do. Brother Lovins, without the grace of God, none of us would be here. I wonder in marriage if it would go a little better if we quit trying to justify ourselves and condemn the other one. You know what most arguments turn into? 
just smear fest. It's simply you. No, I'm not. I'm not. You are. You are. I'm not. I'm not. You are. You are. How little patience I have with you and how infinitely patient I am with me. My mother told me years ago, when that one digit is stretched out in accusation, there are three pointing back at you. So I learned to point with all my fingers. I'm impatient with other people. I'm infinitely patient with myself. There's an interesting interchange that happens between Ahab and Elijah. They meet after the famine has raged for the years that it has. And Ahab meets him and he says this to the man of God, Elijah, Art thou he that troubleth Israel? You know who troubled Israel? Ahab. But Ahab was too busy excusing his own sin and accusing Elijah. Be careful. Hey, the thing about these things, you can do a little self-diagnostic right now. Just think of the last ten thoughts you've had about yourself, the last ten thoughts you've had about other people, and just ask yourself, am I really quick to defend me, and am I really quick to judge other people? Weary in God. You know, Jesus had nothing good to say about people that received forgiveness and didn't pay it forward. Remember when the steward owed a great sum of money and he was forgiven by the master and then he went and found those people that owed him paltry sums of money and judged them? You've been forgiven by God. I think you should be able to forgive just about anybody of anything. I realize we live in the grievance-based society and everybody's judged by how people did you wrong. You lead with that. It's like on your calling card. People abuse me. People treat me bad. They said I look funny and I got big ears. And I don't... <laughs> you know what I am a product of? The grace of Almighty God. God's been good to me. Number six. And we're done. You feel no connection in worship. You feel no connection in worship. Turn to Isaiah 1. We'll finish there. Isaiah 1. It's where we started. We'll finish. Look at verse 15. These are people that are sincere in worship. When you spread forth your hands, verse 15, I will hide mine eyes from you. Yea, when you make many prayers, I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. I'll tell you how you can know when God's about had enough. When you don't hear him talking anymore. Remember when you used to come to a service like this and your heart would burn? Remember when you wore out a path between your chair and the altar, your pew and the altar? It didn't matter what the preacher preached on. You know, I love this about the Holy Ghost. We had a guy, we have a guy, just got out of the Marine Corps, he's in our church named Justin. He got out of the Marine Corps, joined the church. He is a gem. I mean, he's volunteering. He's a great guy. I, I love the fire out of him. But he had this plan. He was going to go on a six-month hike across the United States. I could think of nothing worse. My idea of roughing it is a hotel room without a mini fridge. He's going to go on a six-month hike around, uh, across the United States. Anyway, after one service, I preached. I think I was preaching on tithing. That's, what I, that's my favorite message in the world. I was preaching on tithing or something like that. You know, but people are like, you're a money-grabbing preacher. I figure I'd just own it. You're going to accuse me. I might as well try to get some extra offerings out of it. He came up after that message, and was he talking to you? Uh, he was talking to somebody, and he said this. He, guessed, he said, well, I guess preacher was on me this morning about that thing. I can't go on that trip. I was preaching on tithing. 
But he's so tuned into the Holy Ghost, the Holy Ghost was like, listen, don't listen to what that man's saying. I'm telling you, don't go on that hike across the United States. You remember when the Holy Ghost used to talk to you? You remember when you came to the house of God with an open heart and said, God, just deal with me. Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on me. That old song of the faith, search me, O God, and know my heart today. See if there be any wicked way in me. Remember when God dealt with you? When's the last time you felt Holy Ghost conviction in a church service? When's the last time you sat with your Bible in your lap with nobody else around, just you and God and your devotional time and the Spirit of God settled in? Listen, that book is as powerful when it's in your lap as when it's on that desk. When's the last time you were reading and said, Oh my goodness, Father, there's some change needs to happen in me. So callous, so quick to let the message fly over us, so quick to think, well, they need that, they need that. Well, why isn't God dealing with you anymore? I knew this about my mother. My mother was five foot three, but she was redheaded, and that makes up for a lot. Though she be small, yet she was fierce. The house was full of equalizers. She loved brooms. Goodness. When she was loud, it wasn't pleasant. But when she got quiet, and there's that kind of simmering below the surface. Listen, when your wife or your mother says, fine. Fine. How you doing, Mom? Fine. How you doing, hon? Fine. Not fine. <laughs> they used to say years ago, there's two reasons why you ought to go to an altar. Number one, God dealt with you. Number two, he didn't. I'm closing the service right here. This is my portion of it. How long has it been since the Holy Ghost wrung you out real good? God's presence comes in, all of us just fall on our face because that's the only place there is to be when the presence of God is here. How long has it been since God dealt with you? Not, isn't it funny how a service can be preached and this person can be touched, this person can be touched, this person, and I'm not touched anymore. Oh, house of David, it's a light thing that you weary men. Will you weary my God also? Don't wear God out. And if you see the warning signs before this night is over, why don't you find yourself, you find your way to a quiet place and say, God, I'm sorry. Let's make this right. I don't want to walk through this wide without Him and His presence. Father, help us. Help us. Bless the message that's to come.